I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. For the past three weeks, what we've been doing is we've been um, talking about the expectation for the Savior. And we've been going back hundreds of years to what the prophets said about a Savior coming. And then we've been reading the the prophecies that came right before Jesus was born. And how those things tied together, how God not only kept his word, but stirred up his people to be expectant of something. I don't need to remind you that when Jesus came, he was celebrated by some and ignored by others. We always talk about the fact that he was rejected by men, but I want to tell you, for the most part, he was ignored by so many. And then those that were forced to deal with him either embraced him or rejected him, but they missed who he was. They missed that he was the one they'd been preaching about all the time. It's a dangerous thing to preach something and not believe it. It's one of the the worst illnesses that pastors suffer or ministers, preachers suffer is the disease of preaching things they don't believe. If you preach what you don't believe, your heart's harder than than probably the sinner out on the street. Because the sinner out there that's never been in church at least has not come to the point where he said, I'm going to say this and not believe it. It's hard for a Christian to harden their heart to the word of the Lord. That's why God never said that the Babylonians had hard hearts. He never said the Assyrians had hard hearts. The only Egyptian, he said, had a hard heart was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh only had a hard heart after he heard what the Lord said and said no. But the people he always says have a hard heart were the Israelites. His own people. Because the best and fastest way to harden your heart is to hear God's voice and go, I don't believe that. Or I'm not going to do that. So that's why the scripture says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And as we approach this time where we see symbols all around of Jesus' victory, symbols all around like these lights that celebrate the, the victory of light over darkness, like these evergreens that symbolize the victory of life over death. We're reminded, as we see the, the uh, red berries, we're reminded, as the poinsettias, we're reminded of the blood of Jesus and, and what he did for us. And we have symbols everywhere, but if we refuse to really stop and think about what that means and, 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 and expect not only that God did come and become one of us, but that he's coming again. And if we lose that heart of expectation, your heart doesn't stay neutral. Your heart either gets softer or harder. And so you guys know if you say to your child, hey, come here, and they just pretend they didn't hear you, you don't go, oh, they didn't hear me. That's fine. You look them in the eye and go, hey, come here. Even if they say, well, I didn't say no. I didn't tell you no. Well, yeah, you did. You told me no by not doing what I said, right? A lot of times we're saying to God, God, I didn't tell you no. I just didn't say yes. But no response is a response. We've got to respond to the word of the Lord. And so uh, as we see the birth of Christ in, in, in the beginning of Luke and Matthew and Mark, and as you see the opening chapter of John lay out the fact that, that there were those that did not recognize Jesus and there were those that did, what you see is there's a certain group of people that are super excited and there's a certain group of people that are totally oblivious. We're going to go back to this prophecy in Isaiah 9. And if you've been with us for the past three weeks, you've known that Um, we read from Micah, we read from Isaiah, and we've talked about the fact that these prophecies were given in some of Israel and Judah's darkest times. These prophecies were given while the enemies were at the gates, while captivity was at hand. 
They had rejected God over and over again. They turned away. And now they're kind of reaping the harvest of their work. And yet in the middle of probably their worst time, God promises them something. Just like he promised Adam and Eve Savior and redemption right after they sinned. In our darkest time, God lights a candle. So in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah is speaking to the king about the reality of the Assyrians coming and that they're not going to get out of this one. It's going to happen. Isaiah 8, he's, he's talked about um, the people consulting the dead, consulting spirits and mediums. It was prevalent in their day just as it is in ours. People who said, oh, I speak to spirits. I speak to dead people and all these things. And what they're doing is they're communing with evil spirits. Sure, an evil spirit can act like it's your grandma. Of course. But what you're doing is you're not talking to your grandma. You're now talking to an evil spirit that's, that's manipulating and, 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 and forming you in a, in a way that's totally contrary to God. And so this is what's happening to them. In Isaiah chapter 9... He gives hope. And he says this. Well, let me, let me finish with the last bit of Isaiah 8. It says, verse 19, When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, shouldn't a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. In other words, get into the word, guys. If they don't speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. No dawn. The, the light's not turned on in their eyes. The light's not on in their hearts. They're, they're living in darkness. And they'll pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it'll be like when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and they'll curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. That's not a fun prophecy, but it's not finished yet. But... Thank God there's a but there, right? Thank God for that one. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and every cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. And here's why. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's the promise. A son will be given. A child will be born. This is what you're going to call him. Call him Wonderful Counselor. Call him Mighty God. Call him Eternal Father. Call him Prince of Peace. And we've talked about this before, but every time God gives you a name to call him, that's what he does. That's who he is. He's saying, this is who I want to be to you. 
And if you'll believe that, remember Jesus said about John the Baptist, if you can receive it, he's, he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. If you can receive it. And you might say, what does it matter if I receive John the Baptist, if, if I were living back then, if I received John the Baptist as the prophet coming to prepare the way of the Lord? Either he is or he isn't. But Jesus says, actually, it matters whether or not you receive him, whether or not you receive this truth, because this truth is going to change something. Those that said, the Lord is my healer, were healed. When Jesus walked through town, they said, Jesus is the healer. They showed up and they were healed. Those that said, he is a mighty God, they saw something broken over them. Those that said, he is an eternal father, they were fathered. Those that said, he's a wonderful counselor, come on. He counseled them and showed them the way that they should go. You have to believe. Here's the reason that God is telling them 700 years before the birth of Jesus. You have to be ready for this. You have to believe it or else you won't know what to expect. That's why he says go back to the law and to the testimony. He's not telling them, guys, you need to go back to the rules. You're breaking the rules. He's telling them, I have given you life. And if you'll believe it, it'll bring something. Listen to this. He says, you will increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. I mean, if you had listened to Isaiah chapter 8, and you're sitting there hearing Isaiah tell you how bad it's going to be, and then he goes, but he's totally going to ramp up your gladness. How? They'll be glad. Like people who just got the harvest in. Like people who are dividing the spoils. They're, they're getting their rewards. These are, this is a gladness that comes from an accomplished work. This is what's going to happen. They're going to be joyful. Why? He tells us because a child is going to be born. Because a son is going to be given. So the beginning of Luke, the beginning of Matthew, opens up with big joy. Right? Luke opens up with Zacharias, an old man who can't have a kid, and his wife. They've been infertile, haven't been able to have a child. And they are told, or actually Zacharias is told by an angel, you're going to have a child and the, the angel says to them, you're going to have a lot of joy and gladness. And then, what do we see in Luke chapter 2? Let's read it together. When the angels appear to shepherds, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. So what's bringing the great joy? The good news. This news is going to bring great joy. Not, I mean, is it just a magic tune? That the moment you hear it, you go, I don't know why I feel happy. Or is it that this good news, if you'll grab onto it, if you'll believe this, it's going to bring you great joy. You guys remember that the, the, uh, uh, the wise men, they saw a star and they knew what it meant. They knew that this star meant a king was going to be born in Judah. And so what they did was they went to Jerusalem where they believed if a king's going to be born, that's where he's going to be born. So they show up in Jerusalem and they say, has anybody 
heard about the, the new king that's going to be born, and nobody has any clue what they're talking about till they go to the king and they go, hey, king, you know about another king going to be born? Which is a weird thing to bring up to the current king. <laughs> kind of like Simba saying, I just can't wait to be king. Well, your dad's right there. <laughs> you know about a new king being born. Is it your son? Is it somebody else? We saw a star. And Herod calls for the religious guys. He calls for the people that know the scripture. And he says, if anybody knows, it's these guys. And you know what? They knew. They actually got it right. They said, oh, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the wise men go, well, let's go then. And nobody else goes, can we hitch a ride? Can we come with you? The wise men are saying, these, I mean, these are rich dudes. They're, they're accomplished guys. They're coming far away from the east. They made a stir when they came into town. And then they say, we're going to go see this new king that's going to be born. Where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. Okay, we're going to Bethlehem. And nobody says, hey, can I come? Everybody just goes, well, we've heard this before. In fact, if you looked at history, you find out that um, in that time, that region, there'd been a bunch of people rising up saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. Hey, I'm the one. People got so jaded, they didn't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear this anymore. It's another group of people looking for the Messiah. Oh, they're going to go to Bethlehem. <laughs> Wait till you find out. It's not that big, great of a place. Bethlehem, it's little. I bet you won't find anywhere to stay. <laughs> right? I heard the hotels are terrible there, you know? No vacancy all the time. Just go. You'll see. The only, the only guy that seems interested in what's going on in Bethlehem, besides the wise men, is Herod. So he can kill the baby. We laugh and we say, well, stupid people, they didn't know it was Jesus. And yet, come on, how often does somebody say, you know, the Lord's coming again? We go, yes, he's coming again. You know, this is, you know, this is what God promises. Yes, that's what he promises. We will sing songs about it and we'll get excited if the music is okay. But what about when the music's bad? It's been bad before. What about when you don't like the tune of the song, but you're listening to the words, and they're talking about what God is doing? Yeah. Does something stir in you? Yeah. Like, are you just driven by a beat? Are you driven by something glorious, that there is something happening? When we read the Bible, I mean, do you need something to tickle your brain so that somebody says, actually, if you look here in this day and age, there was a, uh, a sheep actually meant elephant, and so the word elephant means this. Is that the only thing that can get your attention anymore, or do you still get excited about the things that the angels said and proclaimed? Do you still get excited about a Savior that redeemed us and bought us back? Do you still get excited about the fact that he's coming back? Or do you still get excited about the fact that he's here right now in our midst? We're not just saying, well, I hope he visits. He's here. Like, that makes me excited. Nervous. (laughs) And I mess up a guitar lick and Jesus is here. Come on, but he, he's, he's good. I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. And that phrase, great joy, only shows up a few times. Joy is, is big enough, but great joy is massive. It's going to be a massive joy. You know where else we see it? The beginning of Matthew, the, the wise men, when they saw the star. When they, because what happened was they went, to Ju- they went to Jerusalem and they were like, where's the kid? Where's the king? And they said, well, Bethlehem. And as they started going to Bethlehem, and then they get close, they saw the star again. And they're like, it's here. And the Bible says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And, and you look up the word exceedingly. It, I mean, it doesn't get paired. Great joy is already huge, right? I said joy is big. Great joy is bigger. Exceedingly with great joy. If you look up the word exceedingly, it is, it's an intensifier, and it is often used to mean violently. Have you ever had violent joy? <laughs> like you're rejoicing violently? I mean, that sounds like some of the shows we went to when we were teenagers, right? The mosh pit, like, ah. You're going to get punched if you're in the circle pit, right? Oh, anyways. Maybe that was a violent rejoicing. No. That's how excited the wise men were. The Hebrews had a word for rejoicing that literally meant to spin around. We're so stinking British sometimes. Like we... Listen, my name is Bounds. If you look at my family tree, it is English up and down, guys, so I can say this. But we're so Victorian in the way we approach God and stiff up a lip anyways. And, you know, if we get, you know, sometimes we have to go back to the ways these guys were and realize, like, they weren't afraid to look foolish at times. You rejoice in your way, and I rejoice in mine, but sometimes we rejoice the way God tells us to rejoice. And I know we express things different, but you know you're different when you're rejoicing. Now, maybe this person over here is a little bit more active than you, and you're rejoicing just as much, but differently. But each one of us know the difference between us passively sitting back and going, I suppose that's good news, and when we're really rejoicing about something. I mean, some of you guys in the room, not just guys, women too, some of you are going to get pretty pumped at World Juniors coming up a little bit here, you know, or, or your favorite team, and you know, you guys go, I'm not much of a loud person. You, you tell your wife in church, I don't really want to clap my hands. I'm not very much an exuberant person, and yet watch you at an Oilers game. Watch you at an Oilers game. I'm not very exuberant. Yes, you are. You just haven't found anything to get excited about. Right? If we can get excited about God being with us as much as we can about McDavid going around, just skating through the, the, the other team all by himself, I think that we might be on to something. Hockey season's over every year, right? Your team never wins. Maybe once or twice. I didn't even name your team, guys. I love how everybody got offended. Their Jets fans are like, yeah. What? Oilers fans, yeah. Your team wins once or twice. But it's over just like that, right? You celebrate for a week, and then you're like, but this year, I don't know. Post-cup blues, tell you what, man. Last draft pick and all that. Yeah, yeah, we get over that joy. There's a joy that lasts. It's not easily stolen. Jesus, in John chapter 16, spoke to his disciples, and he told them this. He said, there's going to be some tough stuff coming. And when I go, you're going to feel sorrow. But when I come back, you're going to rejoice. When I rise, you're going to rejoice. And then he says, and nobody will take that joy from you. Come on. He had just told them, uh, you know, I, I'm going to send you out. You're going to get beat up. You're going to be put in prison. Some of you are going to be killed. But he says, nobody can steal your joy. Once you see me rise, nobody will steal that from you. That is a joy no one will ever be able to take away. 
And that's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial. It's from the outside in. Joy is from the inside out. And so a guy like Paul, who is in the worst prison the Romans had, the sewer prison, people are dying around him. He's in a terrible situation. He writes a book, to our letter to the Philippians that has more mentions of joy than any other book in the Bible because joy is not about how good you're feeling, but about something on the inside pressing outward. Not about what's on the outside pressing inward. I know every one of us, this end of the year, beginning of the year, you're feeling stuff pressing out or pressing from the outside in, circumstances, bills, all these things. What is pressing from the inside out? Because if what is pressing from the inside out is greater than what's from the outside in, you won't be crushed, which is what Paul said. We're persecuted, but we're not crushed. We're, we're, We're knocked down, we're not crushed, we're persecuted, we're not abandoned. He said, we're sorrowful, but we're with great joy. There is something happening when you believe. And I want to read this to you in the book of Romans. Romans 15, and we find he quotes from these Old Testament prophets. Let's start in verse 9. It says, for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. Again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come from the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, that's Jesus, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Look at at this in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you. And Stop and just think about the word fill. When you are filled, there's nothing left besides that. that is, that's as much as you can handle. Fill you. Not just touch you. Not just give you a sense of, but fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of all hope Fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. When the angel said, this this good news is going to bring great joy, and it's for everybody. For all people meant for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. For everybody. It's nobody's getting left out of this. And that's, you know, the angels are, are saying this, prophesying this to shepherds, not to kings, not to religious leaders, but to shepherds. But he's saying this to them. This is good news for everybody. And when they go, they're telling everybody on the way, hey, they go see the baby. They say, let's run and go see this kid. Let's go see if the angels are right. They find it to be true. And the Bible tells us everywhere they went after that, they're telling people about it. When Philip went into Samaria, the Bible says there was great joy in the city after he proclaimed the gospel. So you might say, well, why don't we have that right now? There's great joy. This verse here says that God, the God of hope, is the one that fills you with this joy. It fills you with this peace. What we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for joy. We've been looking for it. Real joy. We chase it, don't we? The world chases it in, in all the worst ways. They're never finding it. And so we find that the richest people, the most famous people, the most successful by the world standards are the most miserable often. And not to take advantage of the, their situation, how bad, they, you know, the, how, how tragic it is when somebody takes their life or somebody gets caught up in addiction. Because we've all, every 
layer of society has experienced this. But it touches them too. They haven't found what they're looking for. They haven't found what they've been chasing. They get there, and sometimes they're the most sorrowful because they get there, and there's nothing left to chase. They get there and go, this is what I thought would fix it, and it hasn't fixed anything. So it's God that brings the joy. It's God that brings the peace, what you've been waiting for. But he's going to fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. See, the only way the message is going to bring you great joy is if you believe it. It's not, I mean, it wasn't just some, like I said, magic flute tune that when they play it, everybody f- suddenly feels butterflies and happiness. It's, if you'll believe this, joy will spring up out of this. And so I've been a Christian for 30 something, yeah, over 30 years. Well over 30 years, I'm starting to think, doing the math. Thank you, Jesus. Before I even knew what that, like, you know. I received the Lord at a very young age, and I've been in a lot of church services, and I've had radical experiences with God, but I'm always having to step back and go, do I believe it like I believed it? You know what I mean? Like, do I believe it like I believed it? Do I believe this like I, like when that, when I first laid hold of that revelation when I was a teenager and, and just, you know, you know, I was born again when I was a young child, but there were things I got as a teenager that I was like, man, this is real. And do I believe it like I did then? Do I believe this like I, like I did when I just could not wait to get to a church service because I knew the presence of God was there? And I would open the Bible and I would say, man, if this is true, this is everything. Yeah. Do I believe it like I believe that? And I do. But I, I, stir, I have to stir myself up by these things. You remind yourself, you sing the songs you've sung before, you, you, you speak the words you spoke over your life before, and you begin to say, do I still believe it like I used to believe it? Because it, if, if it's no longer stirring up a genuine God-filled hope in you, a God-filled joy, a God-filled peace, then you might say, well, has the word lost its efficacy? Has it lost its power? It hasn't. But often what happens is we've gone from believing to just knowing like we know our multiplication tables. Instead of this being the living word that still gives me life in the morning, when I wake up, I need it. I need the gospel. You might say, well, you needed the gospel to get saved. I need the gospel tomorrow. I need the grace of God tomorrow. I need to know that it's not, it's not me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And I need to rejoice in these things. Do you know rejoice is... is most often in the scripture, is a command. Like, rejoice is a command. You choose it. You have, like, have, you ever, have you ever said to your spouse, just be happy? Has that ever worked for anybody? <laughs> You're like, what, what's, what's wrong? I don't know. I'm really having a hard time. Well, don't have a hard time then. Be happy. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. Certainly doesn't work for Tia. So what do we do? See, when we say be happy, we're saying like suddenly change your mood. But rejoicing is not about your mood. Rejoicing is just saying I am choosing to believe something and I'm going to act on it. So Jesus tells them what to rejoice about. The disciples come back and go, hey, demons are listening to us. Even evil spirits have to listen to us. But Jesus says, don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he tells them, rejoice about this. 
So you got to tell yourself, hey, I don't feel any reason to rejoice. Then rejoice about this. Because we've been living on the surface for so long that we've been rejoicing on shallow things. I'm rejoicing I had a good day at work. I'm rejoicing that the weather's nice and I have to shovel. I'm rejoicing about this. That stuff goes away. What are you going to hang on to when everything goes the wrong way? What will you rejoice about? I will rejoice that my name is written in heaven. I will rejoice that my Redeemer lives and I will see his face again. I will rejoice that my God has done everything that I couldn't do. He paid the price I couldn't pay. He died and rose for me and ascended and sent his Holy Spirit. I've got a reason to rejoice. I'm not saying you have to feel happy. Start to rejoice. Joy will produce gladness and happiness. But watch what he said in Isaiah 9. You will increase their gladness. And he goes, it'll be like the gladness of harvest or the gladness at the end of a battle when you're dividing the rewards. So where does this gladness come from? It's coming from something that's been accomplished. And yet he says, here's why you're going to rejoice. A child will be born. The wise men came, and they saw a a child, a small child. Now, the wise men likely weren't there at anywhere near the same time as the shepherds. It took them a while to get there. The reason we know, we don't know the exact timeline, and you can have your own theories, I can have mine, but the reason that I believe they came a little bit later, or got there a little bit later, was a long journey, was that when Herod ordered all the male children to be killed, he said, two and under. So it might have been a period of under two years somewhere. It could have been, you know, Jesus could have been well. It, the Bible says he, they visited him in his house. He wasn't in the manger anymore. He was, he was in a place. But here's what happens. When they come there and they see this little child, so I don't know, but he's, he's under two. Whether he's a baby or a toddler, that's, you know, ask Jesus when you get to heaven. But the thing is, here he is. He's, he's small. He's not going to save anybody at that age. You know, he's not going to kick a Roman soldier out of, out of town. He's not going to do anything you think Rambo Jesus needs to do. <laughs> He's just a baby. And yet they fall on their face. And they worship him. We have a culture where we say, prove it first. Do it first. Show me first. I don't believe what you're promising. You better back it up with some action. How much faith does it take for, a, for these wise men, for these magi from the east to bow on their faces before a baby? How much faith does it take for Simeon to go, I can die. I've seen salvation. You've seen a baby. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't rose again. Yet I've seen salvation. These are the people that are going to have great joy. The people that that say, I I haven't seen the fulfillment with my own eyes, but it's as good as done for me because God said it, and he's keeping his word. Here here is this child. When do we ever say that in history? They don't talk about, here's why everything's going to be okay. A a baby's going to come along. A child's going to come along. No, you say a king's going to come along. You don't have to say a child. Everybody assumes the king was a child at some point. And yet God goes out of his way to say a child will be born. There's all this fanfare. The angels show up to go, unto you is born this day. Not, I've been stewing something for 30 years. Finally, it's time to announce that we have a king. But we have a child. How many things has God promised 
and God put before us, and we haven't seen the fulfillment yet, right? All right, we still live in a broken planet. So we have the kingdom of God living amongst us, and yet there is a kingdom that's coming that's much better where we won't have these wars and we won't have poverty and we won't have depression. All of that will be wiped away because Jesus will be on his throne. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He will be ruling and reigning and things will be made right. Justice will be done. We don't have that yet. But yet, that, that, that reality is in our hearts. It's right. growing in us. Yeah. We're looking to it. We, we have uh, fruits of that kingdom. <laughs> What's crazy is we have fruits of that harvest before that time. We, we're already walking in, in the kingdom that Jesus said is among you right now. Right. And when we read these things and we see these words from God, I'll tell you what, there's going to be many times you go, I don't feel that right now. I have to urge you like we urge you over and over again. Do not be led by what you feel or don't feel. Will you rejoice in what the Lord has said? Will you rejoice in the beginning of something, a seed? Everything God starts, he starts with seeds. The planet works because God made it that way. Right? The Bible says as long as the earth will remain, there will be seed time and harvest. Everything God starts, he starts with seeds. The problem is, is that we don't get excited until it's a full tree. But... Jesus was the seed God sowed into the world, and he starts small. He tells us that that the smallest place, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too small to be considered among the clans of Judah. God loves starting with small places and small things and small people. He loves using women that couldn't have kids to have these redeemers. It's over and over. He loves to do things in unexpected ways and I'm going to have to tell you, sometimes you just going to have to shut your eyes and not go by what you see, but go by what God says and go, it may look small now. It may not look fulfilled now. This may not feel real to me right now, but it is real to me. God has accomplished this. You know, I don't feel righteous right now, but you are by the blood of Jesus. So I say I'm righteous by the blood of Jesus. You know, I don't feel too well right now, but I know the Lord is my healer. And so I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, by your stripes I'm healed. I, I, don't, I don't feel like, like we have any way to meet the, you know, we're living paycheck to paycheck, and there's more month than there is check, and it doesn't seem to be going. But I know God says he's my provider. And so I believe that right now. I will rejoice in that right now. We sing these songs and we say, if that's true, that would be cause for rejoicing. These songs are more than just stuff to put on Sirius XM. So you can listen in your van and not worry about swear words for the kids in the back. These songs are meant to be songs that bring joy again. These these words that we say in the gospel we proclaim is meant to bring great joy, but Joy and peace and hope come in believing. Yeah. So my urging to you, my prayer for you this morning, is you come back to a place of believing. Yeah. And I know a lot of you say, I do believe. That's why I'm here. I, I know. But I also know there's levels of belief. Yeah. And if the scripture, the scripture never tells you, if you feel like rejoicing, rejoice. Yeah. It always says, rejoice. Yeah. I don't want to. Rejoice. I don't feel like it. Rejoice. And then he tells you why, though. Rejoice because of this. So rejoicing comes from, from having a revelation of truth, a revelation of what God's done. 
It comes from believing it. Yeah. You know? Sometimes we're so afraid to be fake that we just stay in the, in the place of our feelings. Let me tell you, your feelings aren't the most real thing in you. More real than what you feel is who you are. Isn't that right? If you decided tomorrow you feel like a donkey, it doesn't make you a donkey. I feel like a donkey. I want to act like a donkey. No, you're a human. (laughs) I used to climb on the furniture all the time as a kid, and my mom and dad said, Jonathan, say with us, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. Not a monkey. Not a monkey. I always had to say that. Then I'd try to eat food standing at the table. Jonathan, say with us, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. Not a cow. Not a cow. But I'd be a bull, though, if I was. You're not a bull. Just correct them a little bit, right? Because no matter how you feel, you have to remember who you are. You have to remember what the Lord has done. That his word is true and he keeps his promises. And so I, I would love to believe. I, I want to be the guy that says, this is just a baby. It's not too, not too impressive, but I've seen salvation. Rather than, we'll see when you grow up. Because you know what? We lie to ourselves and we say, um, I might not recognize it as a seed, but when it becomes full grown, then I'd recognize it. But the, the people who lived around Jesus proved that that wasn't true. They didn't recognize him when he was doing miracles and raising people from the dead. They still didn't recognize him. If you can't recognize it in seed form, you won't recognize it when it's full grown. Grab onto it in seed. Say, it's, I don't see it yet, but I believe it. My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. So I'm going to rejoice in his salvation. And if you don't feel, if you say, I'm struggling to rejoice. Guys, I don't feel a lot of joy anymore. Stop, you know, I understand. I, I know what it's like to say I don't feel a lot of joy. But begin to rejoice in the promise of God. Begin to rejoice in the truth. Choose to sing a song when you don't feel like singing it. Choose to dance when you don't feel like dancing. Choose to say the word over yourself and say, thank you. One of the greatest acts of faith is gratitude. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me when you don't feel very saved. Thank you for healing me when you don't feel very healed. Thank you for giving me peace when you don't feel a lot of peace. Thank you, Lord. Because the the proper response to a gift received is to thank you. And faith receives from God. Not when you see it, but when when you pray it. That's what Jesus said. He, when you come to the Lord, you must believe you've received when you pray. I've used this example before, and I always pick on Spiro because he's the best. <laughs> but if Spiro gave me a check and said, Merry Christmas, here's a check. If he gave you a check, you wouldn't say, I'll, see when you, I'll, I'll talk to you when this, ca- when this goes through. I'm going to cash this, see if it cashes. If it goes through, you're going to get a thank you from me, let me tell you. <laughs> if... It goes through. We'll see. We'll see. No, no, no. If he gave you a check, he'd be like, thank you. Why? Because he's good for it. You know that. He wouldn't give you a bad check. Now, if he is just a, he's just a human, and our God is the creator of heavens and the earth, he's good for his word. When the Lord promises something, if we will receive it and say, thank you, before we ever feel it, before we ever see it, begin to rejoice. Why? Jesus says, rejoice because of this. Rejoice because of this. Here's why we rejoice. As with gladness, men of old. I still don't know what that song is about, but as with gladness, men of old, we'll rejoice. 
like those who've received the harvest. Why, if, even if you don't feel like you have the harvest, I'm going to rejoice like somebody who has. Because I believe in the work of God. I believe he's done it. Amen.